0: Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting SPARKS Will Fly" as one word, APP to 77977. That's SPARKS Will Fly APP to 77977. Or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Chapter 15, you there? I want to go into the story of the two sons tonight. Um, Let's just pray right quick. Father, we just thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your word. Father, we pray tonight that you would just open up our our ears just to hear fresh truth of who you are. Lord, I pray that your goodness... And the light of your truth would shatter every shadow of doubt in our heart. Lord, let us leave this place strengthened and encouraged tonight by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I wanna read this. I was gonna pick up part of this story, but we might as well just uh we might as well jump in there and um read the whole story. while you hold that, I'm gonna read something right here. Uh this is um this is a book by Bill Johnson called uh, God is Good. There's a in the very first chapter of this book, he he writes about, and I've made reference to this. And I want to read about three or four paragraphs of a, he's got this uh, couple of paragraphs titled A Civil War in the Church. It says, one thing that concerns me most in the day in which we live is the possibility of another civil war. The reality of that potential conflict is upon us right now. However, it's not racial, political, or economic. Neither is it fault between groups with different with differing moral or social agendas. While those tensions obviously exist in society, they have permission to exist because of the division that is celebrated in the church. Listen to this. We set the stage. It is tough to get reconciliation in the factions that exist in the world and around us when the church itself sponsors the wars of eternal conflict with religious delight. I'm referring to a war within the family of God. It is spiritual. This one is not being fought with guns and bombs. It's being fought with words of accusation, character assassination, ridicule and slander. The conflict is over the goodness of God. That spirit of accusation is welcomed in many circles as the voice of reason, the voice of discernment. My prayer is that through an arresting, revival in the nations, we will see another great awakening that dismantles the tsunami of the demonic that thrives on the self-righteous theology and the corresponding divisions it creates. The church isn't known for handling conflict well. We tend to be the only army in the world that shoots their wounded, especially if they're wounded through their own doing. When there are doctrinal conflicts, there are books written and radio shows broadcasted to expose and shame those attempting to serve God with their best effort to teach truth. Good theology is essential, but theology without love is a loud clanging symbol, annoying at best. I believe that a true discovery of the goodness of God could heal this issue for us all. How many of those, that's a mouthful. If you've never read that book, it's good. Matt, can you get that rolling for us? Working on it. All right. Luke chapter 15. Let's start in verse 11. Then Jesus said, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to visit his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged for a farmer in that country to hire him and the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs and the son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized that he was... Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all, who, who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. That's always true of the father's children. Come on, somebody. Did you hear what he said? The workers at my father's house who have all the food they want, plenty to spare, they lack nothing. Why am I here dying for hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me just just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home from, from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And, and, and he had great, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the, son, then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could, never to be call, I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quickly, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the, reel, bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He was once lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now we get to the other son. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard music. He heard the heard. Uh, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of his servants and asked, What's going on? The servant replied, It is your younger brother. Which one is it? It's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and he refused to go in and celebrate. So the father came out and pleaded with him, Come enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen. Come enjoy the feast with us, the son. The son son said, Father, listen. How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you ask as a faithful son? I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you are always with me, by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. And he was lost, but now he's found. That goat referred to in the Passion as King James, and the new King James renders that as a fatted calf that was killed on his behalf. And so I just want to tell you where um, I was sharing with Matt earlier. Um, I'm I'm a little tired. Steve had us out preaching last night to at the midnight. And so he he's hanging in there too. But anyhow, um I was Catherine felt like the Lord spoke to her on Sunday morning and she was sharing with me about a children's church curriculum that she felt like the Lord gave her and which spawned some thoughts in me. So I just sat down and I've been writing for the last couple of days, writing some children's curriculum uh, that we're gonna use out, out in out into the youth room. And so as I was doing this, I used this story in one of the children's lessons that I was using. And I saw something in this story that I've never seen before. How many knows that God's word is alive, friend? You with me now? It's, I mean, we, could, we, could, we could study it throughout the ages and never mind all the, all the rubies that is in the B-I-B-L-E, the word of God. You with me now? And so I really want to go after something tonight. Some will be challenged in this room with some theology. I can go ahead and tell you that. But I'm just going to preach it out of my heart, okay? And this is what I believe about the Lord, and I've been with him a great, great, great length of time today. And so in this is what I felt like. Just I'm just gonna to try to give to you the way I was I was in there today. And I felt like what the Lord highlighted to me is what really angered that brother, what really got him is that the fatted calf was shared on for that younger brother. Now let's think about this in today's world. This is totally the opposite of what we believe that a father should have reacted. Come on, y'all. Hello. This is the total opposite of what you would expect to go home from dad after you've been out partying. Come on, somebody. You ain't been found for several weeks. How many knows dad probably would have been waiting on the front porch with a belt? That is not not the reception he received. That's not not what happened. First of all, the father was looking across the horizon every afternoon waiting on that child to come back. How many knows he was expecting to see him to return? The father in his wisdom divided wealth under them. He didn't give him everything. He divided enough that he thought that he could handle, and he proved to the son that he couldn't handle. So the son was obviously living on himself for a a while. He was doing things his own way. Are you with me now? And so when he comes back, the father kills the fatted calf. Let me tell you what I believe the fatted calf is. I believe the fatted calf is the grace of God. It's the excess of God. This is what challenges the religious mindset. First of all, it was the older brother that got offended. It is the folk living in the church still with an old covenant mindset. Come on, y'all. It's the younger brother, the grace, come on somebody, of the new covenant that was at the table receiving of what the fatted calf was offered on Calvary. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost up in him. And it's the older brother that's always offended when the goodness of God is shown. But let me tell you where the goodness of God comes from. It comes from when he realized in his own heart that I can't do it on my own anymore. I can't work this out. I've tried to work it out. I've tried to work it out with the pigs. I've tried to work it out with prostitutes. I've tried everything I know to work it out. But one thing I found is, rock bottom and I realize I can't do it no more but if I can make it back to daddy's house daddy's got some supplies at his house that's going to change my life and see me through come on somebody and that is the heart that God goes after it is the broken and the contrite he resists the proud those that are still trying to work it on every time we try to work it on our own way the I'm telling you the hand of God is opposing you friend but when we get to a place of brokenness and say God I got a jacked up mess and I don't know how in the world I can ever but get out from here that's the ones that God reaches down and said come on back to the house I got plenty the older brother was concerned about his church life his tithing record and all that he was doing and he failed to realize what was his the whole time he owned the whole farm but he was bound with religion that he couldn't see what was available right before his eyes every day the Bible says it like this God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies every day his mercies are new Now, this fatted calf, this fatted calf, this is where the war is over. Is God really this good? Is God really, I mean, is is grace really that great? Is it really that good? Let me tell you what I found. Most of the great truths of God Religion puts all kind of booby traps around it to try to keep us from getting there. It's kind of like an Indiana Jones. The treasure and the, and the precious relics are hid in the bottom of mines with swords and spears and crocodiles and everything. It's the religious bunch that be, be weary of that. Be weary of that. I don't know if that's true or not. So this fatted calf, I want to talk about this for just a second. Look at this. The first thing that the father put on him was his own robe. Tonight, we're doing the children's, they're doing in the children's church, the Ignite class. We're doing a message on this tonight. And one of the things that I did was I created this old, dirty robe. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah prophesies, and he says, Our righteousness, when we live by our own good works, come on somebody. He said, this is a filthy garment in the sight of God. God wants us to change, come on somebody, that garment and let's live in the garment that he provided for us. This garment that I'm talking about tonight, it cannot be earned through fasting and prayer. It cannot be earned through tithing. It cannot be earned through worship. It was earned at the cross of Calvary and it was paid for by Jesus. And the only way you get this robe is not through buying it with gold and silver. It is not bought through money. Come on somebody. And it's not bought through sweat. You simply receive what is already provided for you. Come on somebody. And the father didn't go get somebody else's robe. He said, put my robe on him. Put my robe on him. Can I tell you tonight, if you are a believer in Jesus, you stand here tonight, not in your own righteousness, but with God's very own robe dropped across your shoulders. That's good news. That's good news. I want to chase a rabbit here about the sheriff's, but I'm trying to leave it over there. Listen to this. The second thing he placed on him, was a ring on his finger. This ring in this time was this ring was just it just wasn't a, it just wasn't an ordinary ring. It was a ring of authority that allowed the son to do business in the father's name. Oh my God. It allowed him to execute business on behalf of the father. That means everything that the father had, now the son had right to it. Come on, somebody. If the father's got healing, now the son's got right to healing. If the father's got walking in deliverance, now the son's got right to deliverance. Come on, somebody. If if the father's got joy, now the son's got right for joy. When he put the ring on him, he said, everything I got is mine. Everything that I got is yours. You can do business in my name. Now, here's another thing about the ring. I found a scripture about this ring that I believe that the father slipped on him. Let's go to a Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You all right? Man, I'm telling you, this thing going to get real good before we get over with. Oh, he preached real good down in the cabin. I can tell you that. I preached about three times. Had the squirrels out there with the hands up. They had the hands up like that. My God, God's moving tonight. The Braves is winning five to nothing right here. Freddie Freeman just doubled off the wall. Hallelujah. Telling you, God's on the move. Ephesians one, listen this. Ephesians chapter one, verse thirteen. And because of Him, you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth. You believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Now we've been stamped with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. He is given to us like an engagement ring. Is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. My God, he is our hope promise of a future inheritance, which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory of God. Every time I feel the presence of God on my life, it's a reminder of a promise that's still coming. That's that's just a down payment. He puts a down payment on this son's hand. What you got to understand? This is what I felt the Lord told me. He said, "What you got to see about this son? This son's not forgiven. He's fully redeemed. When God restores anything, He restores it to a greater. He restores it to a greater glory. God don't just take something and wipe it off and says, Well, maybe it's, maybe I'll just bring it back.' He always restores it better." So he's setting this son up as a place of authority. He's letting him know right quick like there'll never be no beggar mindset in you. you make it be he, The first thing he did because the son came dressed up like a beggar, he removed the beggar clothing from a previous life. Come on somebody because I'm not going to allow my son to live with that type of mentality. They even think he's even close to being a beggar. I'm going to put my own robe on him, remind him of just who he is. This is what God does. This is when you fall into sin, religion tells you to try to work it out before you get back under God. What I'm telling when you, when you make a mistake, the first place you need to run to is the source. Come on, somebody, to remove that beggar cloak off of your life and to get back with the robe of righteousness. He puts this ring on him, seals him up. Then he puts shoes on his feet. The shoes are put on his feet so that he can walk out of shame and condemnation. Religion, you, listen, God never uses condemnation. Even the King James commentators, when they wrote the King James, it says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walks not after the flesh but after the spirit. If you got a new King James that, that who walks not after the flesh but after the spirit, that is italicized to let you know that that is not in the original manuscripts. But the King James commentators could not come to grips that God's really that good. Just because you could be in Christ Jesus, there could be no condemnation. I came to preach the truth tonight. Come on, somebody. And to tell you with all authority of heaven, God said because you are in Christ Jesus, you do not have to walk in condemnation condemnation the shame that you feel of your past or whatever you done last week is coming from hell it ain't coming from heaven heaven is cheering saying get up son get up daughter come on and run this thing come on i provided everything you need for life and godliness and to be successful When we live with this identity, we can believe for good things to happen. He gives him shoes to walk out of the place where he was at. Because you know when the son was sitting at the table receiving all of this goodness, his mind was drifting back to the things at which he had previously done. But the father was steady, showing goodness to wipe away that past. Now let's look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Oh, this is good right here. This is for and some people right here. Straight out the Bible. Look at this in verse 6. I'm still in the Passion Translation. Let's just go back to this fatted calf for a minute. Let me show you how good this fatted calf was because there's a picture of this in Acts chapter 12. What did the children of Israel need to walk out of Egypt? When they was about to leave Egypt, what did God tell them to do? He he instituted what? Passover. What did he say that Passover was going to be? This is going to be the first of the year for you. This is going to be a brand new beginning. When we receive Jesus, it's a brand new beginning. Oh, God. Come on, y'all. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Remember God said, I'm going to send a death angel throughout the land. All you got to do is have what? All you got to have what? The blood applied to the house. And he said, what? Eat the what? Whole lamb. Don't eat it boiled, but what? Eat it roasted in fire. Eat the whole lamb. Oh, Lord, that'll preach right there. We got to get a church to eat the whole lamb. Not just the legs, not just the parts you want. Come on, somebody. Eat the whole lamb. The ears, the nose, everything. Eat the whole lamb. If the lamb's too big for your household, you to share it with the household down the road. There's evangelism right there. But here's one thing for sure. When they sunk their teeth into the lamb. Listen to me. When they sank their teeth into the lamb. They was exiting Egypt at that moment. Because he said, when you eat it, you eat this meal in haste with your loins girded up, have your belt wrapped around, tucked up your sandals on. Because when you take up this lamb right here, you fish and start walking out of this place. Listen to me. That is a good word right there tonight. Whatever has me bound, all I have to do is keep eating the lamb. Friend, are you with me now? The truth is, listen to me, the truth is, no matter where we find ourselves, whatever has us in captivity, if we eat the lamb, we will get free. Come on, somebody. Can I I get a witness in this room now here's the thing with the pentecostal church because we've misquoted scriptures like isaiah 10 27 because of the anointing the yoke shall be destroyed that is not a picture of the power of god falling on you instantly and shattering and breakthrough comes that is a picture of a calf being locked up in the stall Anybody ever had cattle? When we got ready to kill a cow, we would load him up in a small stall, and we would we would sling the sweet feed to him because we're trying to fatten him up, kind of like Cather's done to me. You with me? And so we're going to sling the, the sweet feed to him, and we're going to put him down in this stall, and what happens is the yoke that is around his neck, because of the grain that he is eating, it will begin to break the yoke that has had him around his neck. That is a picture of how breakthrough can come to our lives. Sometimes things don't happen instantly. I love to hear the miracles of somebody come down to the altar and smoke for 20 years got hands laid on me walked off of that are you with me now but the other case is you have to make a choice that you're going to eat the lamb every day come on somebody and you got to learn how to proclaim out of your mouth whom the son set free is freed indeed come on somebody and listen the only way you are not going to win is if you lay down and get up if you lay down and give up if you won't give up for surely victory is yours now Romans chapter 4 David is going to deal with this subject. What are we talking about? The battle over the goodness of God. Right out of the Passion Translation, remember you got to eat the whole lamb. Even King David himself speaks to us. I'm in Romans chapter 4 verse 6. Speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside of a person. My God. Even David himself speaks to us. Regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside of a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Oh my God. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Did you hear that? And here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by the blood. What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them, I will never hold your sins against you. Oh my God. Listen, let me tell you something. Your denomination may be holding your sin against you. Your pastor may be holding your sin against you. And your church member may be holding your sin against you. But God ain't never held nobody's sin against them. Hello, that's good news tonight. My God, I want to tell a whole city, you are free. God ain't holding your sin against you. He's welcoming you with open arms to the cross. Oh my God, I'm I'm about to blow up. Oh my God, I'm about to blow up. Whose sins he's not holding against you. But how many people on Facebook, Oh my God, this is why I can't have no Facebook account. Because I'll be slinging stuff out there that grown people talk about. You know what I'm saying? I I still remember some four little words. I know y'all forgot them. But how, listen, it ain't the world that's bringing accusation. That's not our struggle in this community, friend. It's not the world accusing us. It's the church accusing us. And the last time I read the scripture, come on, somebody, the Bible says that it is the devil that accuses the brethren. So anytime we turn the bullets on our own brethren, we are moving in a demonic spirit, not the Holy Spirit, and not the discernment of the Spirit. He said, David said, hey, blessed is the man. David was seeing into the future. He quotes this after his sin with Bathsheba and the son dies. You with me now? Some people say, well, God was angry in the New Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, and God decided he would get happy in the New Testament. I'm going to tell you, God's always been happy. The reason why you sing the killing and destruction in the Old Testament is because God honored covenant. And God gave them a covenant in Exodus chapter 20 when he invited them to come up the mountain and be priests unto themselves. Come on, somebody. And when they said, no, Moses, we're not going up into that mountain. We're afraid of that, God. We, you just tell him to do what he wants us to do, and we'll do it. God said, okay, if you want to serve me based on laws and covenant, I'll give you some laws. And he gave us the Ten Commandments. I ain't got time to get on that. That's another thing. All right, let's, let's move right along. You all right? Nobody's got scared yet. Let's look right here. Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is how we're gonna learn how to do evangelism right here. If the church can just get this, here's a great deal for uh, uh, evangelism right here. Look at this. Verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. You gotta believe that. You will never defeat sin as long as you believe that you are a sinner that God is trying to improve. You are no longer a sinner. You became a saint of God as soon as you got saved. The New Testament is written to the saints of God at Philippi, to the saints at Thessalonica, to the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Ephesus. When you can't, you listen, you don't become a saint over time. You became a saint instantly when you received Jesus Christ. I said instantly you became a saint. All right. You'd be surprised preaching that little bit right there in some places, right? There, they'd be like, what? We're not trying to be a saint or nothing. Well, what are you trying to be? I'm just trying to act out of my identity. I am a saint. And religious people, well, you know, you know, there's only one walked on water. If you ever read the Bible? There's more than one that's walked on water. Hello, Jesus wasn't the only one walked on water. Peter did too. Come on now. Listen to this. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he's become an entirely new person. God's not rebuilding the old you. He's working on a brand new thing. You're a whole new species now. You're a whole new species now. I said you're a brand new species created in the image and likeness of God. The old man that desired getting drunk and whoring and all this kind of stuff died of supernatural causes. You are a brand new creation in Christ that desires the word of God, the worship of God, and the presence of God. Hello. That is your brand new man. Are you with me? I'm not mad. I'm trying to kill the devil, though. Listen to this. All right. All that is related to the older has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God's made all things new and reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation of others. Everyone in this room is called the minister of the gospel. I said, every one of us in this room is called the minister of the gospel. We have all been given the, recon- the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Let's read a little further. What kind of ministry is he given us? In other words, it was through the anointed one, Jesus, that God was shepherding the world. Not even keeping records. Of their transgressions and he entrusted us to the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. That's for the King James. Thank God that I know it in a little bit in the Passion Translation. Who God was in Christ in the earth reconciling the world through himself by not counting their sins against them. So if you and I want to become ministers of reconciliation, the first thing we got to do is drop the rock. Come on, somebody, and quit holding people hostage to their bondage and their sins. I showed Catherine this clip today. Just you can go on YouTube and find this. There's a there's a bar in the French Quarter on Bourbon Street. He's ever been to Bourbon Street? That's, I mean, that's uh, Dusty. He wants to take a field trip there. I told him he pray about it. Y'all pray for it. Showed him that he wanted to. Man that's going to sin, he goes to a far country. No, I'm cut up. Listen to this. There's this guy that the owner of the bar has let him have the bar. Just let him run the bar. Now, here's the thing. Listen to me. Boy, we tore up down here in the Bible Belt. We need some help. You with me? And so let, you know this, that if you go on that uh, uh, fatherhood uh, where I was re- releasing those uh, statistics about fathers, do you know that in the Bible Belt there's more fatherlessness in the Bible Belt than there are anywhere else in the nation? We got some help to do around here. Come on, somebody. We we quick to call other people's sins out that we can't live ourselves. Oh my God! Let me let me stick back. So he's in Bourbon Street, the French Quarter, New Orleans, inside of a bar, worshiping God preaching the gospel, people sitting at the bar drinking, he preaching the gospel, and they're worshiping. He's not preaching, he's not preaching hell hot and heaven good. He's preaching about the goodness of God and how much God loves you. He's got a baptismal tank that looks just like our baptismal tank, and he's baptizing folks every night in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Come on, y'all. If we're going to become ministers of reconciliation, you've got to learn how to look past people's faults and failures and see them created in the image of God. Because I don't know about y'all, but I ain't always been this pretty. Somebody had to look past my faults and failures and believe in the righteousness of God over my life. Come on, y'all. This is how we become ministers of reconciliation. God in the earth not counting their sins against them. Now, let's go to John chapter 8. I got to hurry up right here because we want to pray. John chapter 8. Y'all Bible thumpers know right where I'm going. John chapter 8. Jesus walked up on the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again and as soon as all the people gathered around to listen to his words, so he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees. These religious scholars were the ones that these were just, these were the ones that critiqued the law. These were the ones that were teaching the Pharisees what the dotting the I's and crossing the T's of the law. So the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. This is just like the church right here, the religious church. They bring you to the front. Stand in the middle of everyone. First of all, they're already disobeying the law because Leviticus said you bring the man and the woman. I said bring the man and the woman. Let me tell you this. People that are law people, they don't even live up to it themselves. It is impossible to live up to the law. I said it's impossible. God knew it was impossible when he handed it to them. The purpose of the law was not to see if they could live up to it. The purpose of the law was to drive them to a point where they realized they could not live up to it. So here's the deal. Most people believe if I preach, if I preach against sin every Sunday, let me tell you this. If you, they said, well, if you'll preach against sin, it'll stop it in your church. I'm going to tell you this. If you preach against sin every Sunday, it'll increase in your church. Because the strength of sin is the law. So you'll be like, what in the world is that? They get scared. Listen here. Did you take Danny's gorgeous building down here, the glass building down here? Right, you, you can have people walk by that left and Right? Well, if we go down there to, to South Georgia Graphics and I get, I get these big signs made and I, them, I put them on the side of his building, please do not throw a rock at the building. Within one week, we're going to have a rock go through the glass. Because all I did was remind, listen, all I did was point out what I didn't want them to do. They were not even conscious about throwing a rock at it. But because I put it out there, now I made them conscious of it. And the church is overly, I'm telling you, overly sin conscious and not presence conscious. You will never be free from sin by trying to stop doing it. You can't lose weight by waking up every day. I will not go to Dairy Queen today. I will not do it. I will not eat a blizzard. You will not make me eat a blizzard. By 3 o'clock, you have done eight, two blizzards, and you have fallen. Come on, somebody. Because the whole focus has been the blizzard the whole time. We will never defeat sin that type of way. We will defeat sin by saying, God, I thank you that you're amazing. I just took my focus off of my problem and put it on the cross. Come on, somebody. And the goodness of God... My God, when He becomes my focus, my sin. Listen, it is not just sin. When He becomes my focus, my trial, my tribulation, my mountain, whatever I'm facing becomes small and He becomes large. Now this woman's called in adultery. They called her in the act. We don't need to break it down no further than that. We all understand. They brought her, but they let the man slide. Now they got him in front of Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They're trying to stumble him. They're going to bring him in there and they're going to say, the law says, the Bible says, the Bible says, those that called in adultery says we should stone them. What do you say? Hello. They're trying to call him out. Scripture says he, he, he stoops down, writes into to the dirt. First time we've seen God write with his finger was what? The law. The other place we see him writing in the dust is in Jeremiah chapter 17. Where it says those who reject the living water, he shall write their names in the dust. So we don't know what he wrote. He could have stooped down and wrote every name of every Pharisee and Sadducee and everyone in that crowd that had rejected him. Come on, somebody. Then he looks up and he says this statement, those with you without sin cast the first stone. After he gets through with that sermon, everybody realizes that nobody's standing there completely whole and without sin that can cast a stone at her. Then he tells this woman Woman look around where are your accusers go and sin no more Now I'm gonna tell you that flies in the face of the religious spirit because the religious always demands punishment Listen to this I was in a I was in a round table discussion one night into the wee hours of the morning we were dealing with a Situation where a minister had fell into sin let's, let's just establish this for a minute nobody falls into sin y'all come on you mean we out here walking and we're tripping we went into sin no that ain't how it happens let's establish it the way it happens you don't want me to let bats teach you on this right here because y'all ain't grown up to hear it <laughs> we couldn't be live broadcasting that you don't fall into sin. The Bible says we're led and drawn away by what? I own. I own. I own evil desires. God doesn't tempt any man. We're drawn away by our own evil desires. So it's, it starts here in the mind before it ever ends in the hands. You with me? Things are not dealt with. All right. This is what it says we got to set this man down for six months, nine months, ten months, whatever it is. He's got to take a sabbatical. (laughs) Now this is what was said. This man had been in ministry 20 plus years. His father had been in ministry for over 30 years. So we have 50 years of ministry. And this was the statement that was said. I've never seen a man endure the process. Out of 50 years, we can't point to one person that's ever endured the process. Maybe the problem is not the men. Maybe the problem is the process we're trying to put them through. Now let's go a little deeper right here since I'm already out here on this limb. The penalty box doesn't change anything. It only makes the people feel better. If that was the case, everyone that has been incarcerated will be released from prison and be the I mean the gorgeous things you've ever seen in life. Time doesn't heal all things, it's what you do with the time is what brings healing. Are you with me now? So what we're looking for is what caused the problem to start with. If a man goes into adultery, how many knows the adultery is not the issue? That's the symptom. When you go to the doctor, the doctor asks you what your symptoms are. He's not trying to treat your symptoms. He's trying to, to treat what is causing the symptoms. You with me now? So what I'm saying is, is in, instead of just putting people in the penalty box for their sin, we've got to find the issues that causes that and bring repentance to that. You with me? I think I'm scared some of Putting you in the penalty box ain't going to do nothing. This is exactly what they were trying to do. Now let's look at, let's study a little history on this John chapter 8. According to Brian Simmons in his Passion Translations, says most of the early manuscripts do not have John chapter 8 recorded in them. And if you do find it in the early manuscripts, it is at the end of the book of John. You with me? St. Augustine said, one of the early church fathers said that that it was removed by most scholars. This story of the woman who was caught in adultery was removed by most scholars because they felt like Jesus had gave this this woman a license for a lifestyle of immorality. That's crazy to begin with. God never gives anyone a license for a lifestyle of immorality. I'm going to tell you this. If you're living in sin, friend, you're not under the grace of God. You don't know Jesus. Are you with me now? Hello? I said, if you have a desire to go out and live buck wild sin every day, then you don't know the Lord. The evidence that you are in the kingdom of God is freedom. And if your lifestyle does not look like freedom, I'm sorry to say, you do not live at the address you're claiming to live at. You with me? That's like trying to say you live in the country club driving a Dawson. It just don't match up. (laughs) You with me? So you can see from the very early stages that there's this attack that God couldn't really be that good. God can't just let us go like that. He's got to put somebody in the penalty box. Somebody's got to pay the price for the crime. But the truth is, someone has already paid the price for the crime. Someone has already paid the price for the crime. The reason why you can sit here tonight and enjoy the goodness and the grace of God is simply because Jesus died and bled a gruesome death so that you could go free. And when the accuser of the brothers says bats deserve prison and the penalty box, God raises up in his favor and says, I still believe what Jesus did was good enough. And what you got to understand is God is not angry anymore. Man, I'm telling you, I know I'm plowing right here. But we got these, we got leaders that God is angry with sinners. If God is still angry, then what Jesus said in Matthew 27 is wrong when he said it is finished. God put all of our sin, God put every bit of the wrath that he had towards sin on Jesus. God doesn't overlook sin. He put it on Jesus. Y'all, that's good news. All right, let me finish with this. Every time you get in this, you always have people come up and say, well, you know what, man? If you preach that, put people to have license to sin. Well, here's what I'm telling you. It's God's kingdom is freedom. You believe that? Now let's look go right here. I'm going to finish right here. I'm going to jump in the King James, the New King James. Cuz it does it more justice right here than the way Brian interprets it in the Passion. I want to use it the way it's interpreted in the uh, New King James. Acts chapter 14. Let's look at this verse of scripture in verse 8. In verse 8. Verse 8. When you hear the goodness of God preached, you will not want to sin. You will want to run and worship him all the days of your life. You with me? Acts chapter 14. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Look at how the Holy Spirit highlights this text. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength he got no strength in his feet. He's a cripple from his mother's womb, and he had never walked. How many of you know that's hopeless? Think about this. You ain't got no strength in your feet. You've been crippled from your mother's womb. You never walked a day in your life. How many knows that's hopelessness? I mean, you ain't got a lot of hope going on. But he's going to church. Like a lot of us. Look at this, verse 9. Yeah, verse 9. Pull it up. This man heard Paul speaking or preaching. Paul observing him attentively and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Oh, my God. This man is sitting here with no strength in his feet, crippled from his mother's womb, had never walked a day in his life. He's listening to Paul preach, and Paul looks at him and says, this man's got faith to be healed. Something's going on while he's preaching. This faith is rising up in this hopeless man that had never walked, and faith is coming into him, and he's believing now he can walk. What caused him to what caused him to do this? I'm thinking, God, you can't give us no. I mean, you you can't write Luke, you can't write something like this and not tell me what the man preached. We need to start preaching this message. He don't tell us what he preached. Go back to verse 7. And they were preaching what? They were preaching the good news where? There. Now, pull this scripture up right here. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 40. Luke don't leave us hanging. He does give us one message that Paul was preaching while he was running this revival. Go to Acts 13, that verse I said. What did I say? Nobody's listening. I'm used to this, though. (laughs) Look at this. Be what? Come on now. Did I say that? Verse 38. Come on. Therefore let it be known to your brethren that through this man is preached to you what? The forgiveness of sin. Verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes in him is justified from all things from which you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Let me tell you. Let me hold hold up. God, oh, dog, I'm about to run. Listen here, in that day, if you were sick, just like the blind boy, they asked who sinned, him or his parents. His whole life, he had heard society say, my God, you know that joker's family right there did something wrong. You know he's committed to unpardonable sin. He's been a cripple all his life. This is all he heard from the religious society of his day. But when Paul come in, he was preaching a new message. Come on, somebody. He said, I'm here tonight to tell you about a man who died on the cross that will forgive you of all your sins and you can be justified. you know what justified is? Just as it had never happened. You can be justified in this manner. name my god what the law of moses what they preaching at that church can never bring no healing to you it'll never bring deliverance this man can bring full deliverance that man said oh my god i've never heard nothing like this if jesus is really real i got faith to be healed when he heard that message paul said he looked at him seeing he had faith to be healed said stand up on your feet He put his feet on the ground and for the first time started walking in the name of the Lord. What I'm telling you, if we get the message right in the church, come on somebody, that there was a man over 2,000 years ago at 33 and a half years old, the son of the living God, Yeshua, the anointed one, Christos. Paul was preaching the word of God come on somebody the gospel, the good news faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God that word God is translated wrong in the King James because it is not theos it is Christos the hearing comes by the preaching and preaching by Christ it ain't the law of Moses that's bringing faith baby It's the finished work of Jesus that he's a healer. I said he's a healer in this room tonight. I said whatever disease we got in this room tonight, he came to bear our sickness upon the cross and we can be healed up in this place. Come on, somebody. I said he's a deliverer tonight. Whatever type of addiction we've walked in for 45 years, he can break it off instantly, friend. Come on, somebody. If we broke in poverty, come on, somebody. If we ain't got no money, he became poor so that we can become rich. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking talking about Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the finished work. This will bring hope and healing. What brings no hope is when we count out the sins. I, I I got to quit. If I'm bound up, I don't need you to tell me how bad things are. If I ain't got no strength in my feet and I've been lame since my mother's womb and I've never walked a day in my life. I don't need you coming in here telling me car wreck stories or telling me what kind of sins released on the earth. I need you to preach a message of hope and tell me who could conquer death, hell, and the grave. Come on somebody. I need you to tell me about a man that showed up. Come on somebody. At the city of Nain where a woman was burying her only son and he stopped a funeral procession and raised a child from the dead. I need you to tell me about a man in John chapter 11 said don't even come up here. He's stinking now. He's been dead four days in the tomb. I need you to Tell me about a man that you met that says he is the resurrection and the life. And say, Lazarus, come forth. Come on, Chama. I need you to tell me about a man that says, I'll baptize you with water. I uh, said, John, baptize you with water, but I will baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. Tell me about that, and faith will begin to rise in the church. Yes. My God, I'm preaching on Wednesday night up in here. This is what we need. This is the message. This is the message Paul preached. This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news. This will cause people with no hope. Say, my God, is it real? Is it really real what he's saying? If it's real in what he's saying, come on, somebody. Blind Bartimaeus said, man, if he's real, if he's real, if he's real. Come on, somebody. The woman with the issue of blood. When she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to the doctors. Come on. Bible says she went and spent all she had. But she had the truth of God's word to the prophet Malachi. And Malachi said when the Messiah comes, he will come with healing in his wings. The word wings there in the Greek is the same thing of the tassels on the bottom of the tallit that Jesus had around him. She said if he really is the son of God, come on, somebody. there's healing in the fringes of his garment. That's why she went low, friend. Come on, somebody. And when she grabbed a hold of that... This is the same reason why when Bartimaeus went to get his attention, he said, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Because he knew the Messiah, the one that was prophesied with healing in his wing, was going to be coming from from David. Come on, sir. That's why he said, Thou son of David. What he was saying is, Messiah, son of the living God, have mercy on me. When everybody else was just saying, Jesus, that's Mary's son. He said, that's the Messiah. There's faith in this room tonight, friend. I'm telling you, I come to shatter something tonight. And what I come to shatter is the shame and condemnation of things that we've committed and things that we've done. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I'm telling you, there's one that hit the mark. Are you with me now? And he's letting us ride his back to the finish line. I'm not worried. I used to pray prayers when I was a little boy, praying that someday I can make it to heaven. I'm here to tell you tonight I'm going to heaven on the first trip. It's and done. I'm sealed to the day of redemption. I'm not worried about if I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it tonight. Why? Because he is enough for me, friend. That's good news. Good news. Stand up and let's pray. I'm about to start a Revival. I'm about to blow up, I know that. If I had a blood pressure cuff on it, it'd probably read too high. Lord, I thank you for the fatted calf. Whew, that you allow us to get at the table. That you allow us a place. My God. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, lift your hands right here to receive. Father, shatter every bit of condemnation, guilt, and shame off our life. That shame comes from the pit of hell, friend. I thank you, Father, that you have provided a way. I preach you in this room tonight. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, I pray those that are sick under the sound of my voice be healed right now instantly by the power of God. Father, I command healing right now into these bodies, right now in Jesus' name. Father, I command rheumatoid arthritis to bow its knee right now in the name of Jesus. I declare joint pain to leave right now in the name of Jesus. I declare sinus infections, any sickness in this room, we come against you right now by the power of God's Holy Spirit, Father. Any any addiction in this room, I command it to bow its knee right now to the Son of the Living God. I thank you that you are a waymaker, and we decree that out of our mouth. We declare that we are the head and not the tail. We declare that we are above and not beneath. We declare we are blessed and not broke, God. We declare that you are a healer, that you are a deliverer. We declare you who you are tonight in this room. I thank you that you are for me. And if you be for me, then who in the world can ever be against me? You are for me, God. You are for me, God. You are for me. I thank you that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I thank you that as you overcome death hell in the grave you have made me an overcomer tonight i thank you that i am not a victim but i am a victor in christ i thank you lord tonight my god give god a hand clap of praise listen here hug somebody hug somebody love on them we'll see you here sunday morning we hope you enjoyed our message of the week thanks for joining us Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.